in 2018, a new story began. It's a huge day today because I introduce our 10-year vision called 10-10-10. A bold vision to reach more people with the love of Jesus came into focus. The idea? To find where God was at work and meet Him there. To find new ways to multiply disciples here in our neighborhoods, near in our surrounding communities, and far across the world. To see more people come to know Jesus, to build partnerships in new communities, to be and love like Him. So here we are, it's 2023, and now at the halfway point of our 10-year vision, what was once a dream is being realized. Momentum is building. We're seeing churches planted, partnerships developed, lives impacted here, near, and far. And even amidst the turbulence of the last few years, God's faithfulness remains. So in this moment, our opportunity is to see the here, near, far vision accelerated. To greatly increase God's work here in our own backyards, meeting the needs of more youth experiencing homelessness through an expanded Hope House, reaching more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ through microsites, multi-sites, and church plants, expanding Westwood's internship and residency programs to develop emerging leaders, and a bold strategy to reach the next generation and grow them in Christ. Seizing opportunities for kingdom expansion through a multiplication opportunity fund. Repairing and renewing our facilities to continue to attract and welcome visitors, families, and youth to our campuses. Establishing a church planting entrepreneurial fund as a catalyst to see 100 churches started in the Twin Cities allowing more ethnically diverse and immigrant people to come to faith in Christ through collaboration with our partner churches. Through the Love Builds opportunity, in the far reaches of the world, we can see the 1,000 churches we have already helped plant exponentially increase to become 10,000 churches. We stand in awe of what God has done, and we invite you to join us in a two-year season of expanded generosity to accelerate this vision. God has already used the here, near, far vision to reach and impact so many with His love. And He's only just begun. His love builds. Hi, friends, and thanks for joining us online at our various sites. And it's been quite a week here. We've had historic snows in Minnesota. We've had historic heat to all of our online listeners in Florida, Arizona, the southern states, and we just want to say we're not jealous. We are glad that we could be together as one today. And what I'm going to just say is a historic day. It's a historic day for Westwood as we turn the page to a new chapter of ministry. I'm going to introduce that chapter to you today, but more than that, I'm actually going to invite you to be an FP. Have you ever been called an FP before? No, because I made up the word myself. It means first paragrapher. That is, I'm inviting you on this day and the weeks ahead to say yes. I want to put my name and my story in the first paragraph of the next chapter of Westwood's ministry called Love Built. It's a two-year initiative. 
It will expand our ministry, accelerating here near far, but catapult us to that 2018 goal that we have set. And God has been on the move. We're at the halfway point, and we find that these first five years, even in the midst of all we've gone through, a global pandemic, man, you just realize God does not lay in a fetal position. He is on the move, and we have um, celebrated great stories in these last five years. And these next five weeks, you're gonna hear some of those stories in the past, but also in the present. And honestly, I think you're going to be put onto your tippy toes saying, I want to see more. It's going to be an exciting series for this last half of Nehemiah, and I invite you to come back and join us in this journey. The theme, Love Builds, actually comes from the Apostle Paul. You know, we have this saying at Westwood, it's been with us um, almost from the beginning. If we could only get the love thing right, there's no end to what we could be or do for God's glory. But we don't always get the love thing right. And the Apostle Paul so succinctly explains why we don't and why we do. And you find it in 1 Corinthians 8.1. We know that we all possess knowledge. All of us have a knowledge, but our knowledge gets expressed in different ways. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And with simplicity, he brings some focus here as why we don't get the love thing right. That is, there's a kind of knowledge that leads to pride, a self-centeredness, that results in lovelessness and really hurts people. It tears people down, it does not build them up. But there is a kind of knowledge as well that is um, led by love. And it is a love that results in a building up of God's name, of your life, of the communities in which we live, and the source of that love is God's love. That God's love always builds up. And so when we see that love isn't being expressed in right ways, it's tearing down, it's not the love of God, it's a love of self filled with pride. But when love is building up, that is the love of God resourced by the very essence of who God is, and that is love. And that's Nehemiah's testimony. For the last uh, six weeks, we have been looking at the big door of leadership that swings on the small hinge of character. So we've looked at the, the character of Nehemiah, and would you agree with me? He's an amazing, amazing servant of the Lord. What, what an example that we've been given. His character qualities of praying and planning, of motivating, of organizing, of incredible conflict management skills and capacities, and then that beautiful gift of discernment that we looked at last week, great qualities that God used, but now we're at the halfway point of Nehemiah as well. And the door of leadership swings now on the small hinge of love, but what a swing it is. It's a love that has high impact on God, on God's people in extraordinary, extraordinary ways. So we're gonna be taking a look at that with today's message um, being entitled Consolidate because love consolidates. And Nehemiah is consolidating the city. Can we just take a moment and define consolidate biblically? It means a couple of different things. To make something stronger. And don't you agree that love makes us stronger? Just say amen, yes, or anything. I just want to be sure you guys got your sleep last night. Join me in that. And then um, it also means to combine things into a more effective or coherent whole. Simply to say that God takes who we are to consolidate who we are with what we have to unite us together into a whole and holy community. And when we live as the body of Christ, with Christ as the head alone, 
God does amazing things through the expression of love in his body. Love builds, in essence. And so Nehemiah is consolidating. The walls have been rebuilt, but the city is in ruins. And it's a problem. But you can put yourself in that place. When When that wall gets rebuilt, in 52 days, after 90 years of being destroyed, two failed attempts, the people who were there at that time, they had to be just going, wow, can you believe what we just did? We did it. High five. The energy had to be just utterly amazing. But also there had to be some people saying, wow, that was hard. (laughs) That was exhausting. We need a break. And immediately when I'm reading the story, I'm thinking of the Kansas City quarterback of the Chiefs after they win the Super Bowl. And the question gets asked of Patrick Mahomes, what are you going to do now? And he responds, I'm going to. But that was, uh, are you with me today? (laughs) He's going to Disney World. And that gets expressed with every champion of the Super Bowl. But here's the reality. The Jerusalem team is not going to Disney World. (laughs) That's not an option for them. In fact, they're not going to have five months off before the next season because the walls have been restored, but the city is still in ruins. And so they find themselves in a place of consolidation. They're in the season of consolidation. Let me reflection on that for just a moment, if I may. I think that one of the most... Um, vulnerable times, could I say even most dangerous times of life, is when you have experienced um, the achievement of something great and significant, that you've tasted success. Because we tend to let our guard down. We tend to lose focus. And even we can get puffed up. That success can ruin a lot of people. And so Jerusalem has experienced success. Look what we have done. But they're in that vulnerable window right now. The walls are constructed. The city is in ruins. So they must not lose guard. They must continue to build on that which they've already gained. In fact, the question I want to raise for my message just today is how do you consolidate that which you've already gained when you've gone through and experienced success or done something quite significant? And we're going to learn in Nehemiah 7 and 8 these simple three practices that Nehemiah guards what he gains, grows from what he's gained, and he gives in what he's gained. So let's start taking a look at it. First of all, consolidation, you guard what you've gained by understanding the reality of things that are easily lost. And so we see it all the time. Relationships break up, businesses uh, go bankrupt, churches go bust, oftentimes because we just haven't paid attention to guard what we've gained. It's like marriage in a sense. I was just a little surprised when I was doing some research on marriage a few weeks ago and I came across this statistic and I thought, my goodness, you know what the average uh, length of time is between a time when a person gets engaged and when they actually get married today in the United States? It's between 12 and 18 months. That's a long time. In my book, I'm a three-month guy. If you choose... (laughs) Not everybody is, but I say, if you get engaged, just get married and move on with your life. So spend a whole year of your life? Why do you do that? Spend all that, every father and mother in the room is going, yeah, go, Joel. Because um, <laughs> you just spend more money with every month that passes. But, um, but you know this to be true. The real work of marriage is not in the preparing of a ceremony. We give so much energy and time to that. Okay, that's fine. But the real work of a marriage is the preserving of the relationship after the ceremony. That's where you find sustainability. That's where you find the deepening of love and focus. And so it is with, uh, the, with Jerusalem at this time. The, the city walls are 
are, are constructed, which is terrific, but the city itself is in ruins. And what happens in the significance of, of the work isn't the building of the walls around the city, it's the life of the city that gets built within the walls of the city that matters most, that they have to give their best energy, and that's exactly what happens. And how does Nehemiah go about it? Well, he guards what has been gained by surrounding himself with right people, people of integrity. Let's take a look at it. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. And I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people. Hanani. Hanani, if I can take you back to Nehemiah chapter one, is the brother to Nehemiah who makes that nearly thousand mile trek from Jerusalem to Persia to say, it's a mess. The city is a mess. The walls are destroyed. The city's in ruins. The reputation of God is completely trashed. That's Hanani. And here he is in the next phase, and he is a leader here as well. And take note that Nehemiah knows as he's consolidating, he needs to have the right people. So he chooses his brother again because he is a man of integrity. That is, integrity is a congruence of your inner world with your outer world, that they are one and the same. And it allows us to, to look at you as being trustworthy in decision makings, in the work of God in life. We want to be people of integrity, a wholeness that comes from the Lord, but also that he feared God. And to fear God means that he revered God's name, that he made God the center of his life and his decision-making core. So Nehemiah could trust him because he loved God and loved God's people. It's the great commandment. And he could trust him with that given call. And so Nehemiah guards what he gains by putting people who are around him who are people of integrity. They're people who fear God, and it makes a difference, but that's not all that he does. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem, and look at the detail here, are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some of their posts and some near their own house. It's just this checklist of things. They seem like little things, but they're important things in the journey. So Nehemiah guards what he gains by following a checklist. How many of you are checklist people? Just be bold, let me see your hands. A good majority of you feel good about it is what I'm saying. Um, Atul Gawande wrote a best-selling book. He's an endocrinologist or surgeon and uh, and great author. And he wrote a book called um, The Checklist Manifesto. And his point is in the surgical world, there are many successes but too many failures. And he says we need to reduce failures. And the strategy to deal with complex situations and reduce the failure and really to guard what you've gained is a simple strategy called a checklist. Don't take shortcuts. Have a checklist. This is what Nehemiah is doing. He's paying attention to all the things that need to be done. If I have a surgeon working on my heart, I want them to have a checklist. And you do too. I have a friend who's a pilot. He's got a little plane. And some years ago, he invited me to fly with him. In my head, I'm going, no, thank you. I'm not interested in going a little plane that far into the sky. I'm not. And he, he's just such a good friend. And he just said, oh, we'll have a good time. We're going to go this direction, just a couple hours. And I go, oh, I was scared. But I, I came. He's a friend. And we get in the plane, and he pulls out this long checklist. And he just... I mean, I'm sitting there for a long time. Choo-choom, choo-choom, choo-choom. We did not fly till the checklist was done. I've flown with him a half a dozen times, and every time he has that checklist. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. I like people with checklists. 
I'm willing to fly with people with checklists. Checklists matter. Pay attention to the detail as we even see in this given story. Nehemiah is in this place and he moves into an arena and he knows we need a checklist. There's so much to do. No shortcuts, no compromising. Let's stay with it. And I, I took a step back from that and I got to be thinking, I wonder if we would benefit from a spiritual checklist. Why is it that when we have a full love for God and faith in Jesus that our heart is prone to wander. That we tend to just drift, don't we? And I wonder if a checklist would just, if I woke up every day and just say, do I have my life in order, oh God? Not in terms of a legalistic checklist, but just a heart-rendering checklist to keep my faith alive with the living God who birthed into us the life that we enjoy today. Why do we wander from the life-giving God the way we do? I have a dear friend in my life who's, he's in his mid-30s right now, and I've been able, I've known him most of his life and his journey, and I love this guy so much. And he put his faith in Christ as a, as a teen and, um, you know, lived well for the Lord for a period of years, got into his mid-20s, now in his 30s, and you know, he has just drifted. And we've, we've had many conversations about it. He's had great success in his life, there you go. He lost, uh, maybe didn't guard what he had gained in that point of it. He has surrounded himself with people that are really good people, I've met them, they're good people, I like them very much, but there's enough of them who have pulled him away from the Lord that it's a challenge for him to want to see that he wants to be drawn back to the Lord. And then he has this longing to be married and he's not married yet and he wants to be married. I know he has a checklist for the woman that he wants to marry and maybe it's a checklist that isn't the right kind of checklist, I don't know. But I know that he's been bit by what sociologists call the revolving door syndrome. You revolve from one relationship to the next relationship thinking that there's somebody better in the next relationship. So he's looking for something better in life, someone better in life than what his current life is, and he's feeling empty even though so much is going well, and he reaches out and says, Joel, can we get some time? And he wants to just counsel together, and I love that. I love being with him. I love praying. He asks me all the time to pray with him, and I do that, and I've been doing that for years, but recently, and he knows I'm sharing this story, by the way. Recently, I just said, can I be straight up with you? Because you, you come to me for a reason, and I just want to say, Go to God. Trust in God. Renew your faith in Jesus Christ. Live for him. And the best of life will begin to come to you in very clear and compelling ways. And by the way, be baptized. Because in church history, the mark of the true Christ follower was to say, count me as a follower of Jesus. I will say yes to follow him. Even in many cultures today, the persecuted church unto death. Baptism is a big deal in the eyes of the Lord because we die to sin, we come out in the resurrection of life in Jesus Christ. And so he took it in, he goes, I'm not surprised you invite me into that. <laughs> he still hasn't done it. But we're still friends, and I'm glad for that because I think he's really, really close. I was thinking about that for us in our own journey. Why is it that we have a heart that's prone to wander? So I don't think you wake up one day and said, I've had enough of God. That's just how it works for most of us. You know, we're a little bit more like on an inner tube out in the ocean, one wave out of time, at a time, and our eyes are shut, taking in the beautiful rays, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in deep sea water and we don't know what to do. We just drift ever so subtly and slowly. And it's harder to make your way back. And I think about that for some of you. I've been in prayer for this service today. And I've already seen the fruit of it this morning after our first gatherings. It's been amazing. There are probably 10, 20 a hundred, maybe 200 of you who are among those who have drifted away. 
and you know it. And maybe you're here because of a friend, a spouse, so you come, but you know you've drifted. I just want to say to you, in the gentleness of Jesus, come home. Trust God. Renew your faith in Jesus. Live for him, and you will see God's best starting to flow out in new and compelling ways in your life. And by the way, be baptized. Because baptism is a synergy for your given growth, your declaration of faith in Christ. In fact, I wanna just invite you, on Easter Sunday, we're bringing back our baptism Easter service in the afternoon. We're gonna have baptisms in all of the services, and then we're gonna come back in the afternoon, which we have not done since the pandemic came upon us. So we're coming back for Easter Sunday resurrection experiences through baptism. If you would like to be baptized, fill out that engagement card that you receive, and we'll follow up with you this week and watch how God begins to work, not just in you, but in our community of faith as well. So the learning principle is guard what you've gained by fearing God, revere him, honor him, make him the center of your life, and surrounding yourself with people who are people of integrity, and watch how God will work. The, the second thing Nehemiah does, he consolidates the city by not just guarding what he's gained, but by growing what you've gained. That is, we're not called to ever put it in neutral. God is a God of growth, always. Okay, he gives you your Sabbath rest, but he is always working in the growth of his name around the world and in your life personally and in our communities. He doesn't get in a fetal position like we do when we get disheartened. No, he keeps going and he keeps growing. And we find that Nehemiah steps into that and one of the ways that he grows and the people of God grow in the city of Jerusalem is so simple. It's just almost unbelievable how simple it is. It's not rocket science. All of us can do it with ease. He records the goodness of God. The goodness of God yesterday, the goodness of God today, postures his life with anticipation for the goodness of God and what he wants to do tomorrow. It builds that way, the simple act of journaling. You don't have to journal every day, but just make points by which you take note of the goodness of God, and Nehemiah does that exactly. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. And I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return, and this is what I found written there. You just sense his awe, too. These people have come back in. He's organized them in a whole new kind of way, and it's quite a compelling picture to see what takes place because... He's journaling these people who've come from all of these given places, and this is what I've written. So he's got people who've come from these different families on the Babylonian captivity. They're making their way back. He has them by name, by tribe, by gifts, talents, abilities. The detail is so extraordinary that it's included. I'd read the rest of chapter seven, but it would take the rest of the service. So you read it on your own, okay, and you take it in. But let me give you a portion of it because the detail is so uplifting. If you count and total the number of people that are in chapter seven, it's almost 50,000 people. So he's got critical mass to begin the work of rebuilding the city. But then he goes into detail of who they are. 245 male and female singers. And I think, wow, music has always been important to every culture of every generation not just for our dating, our dating and journey life with friends, but in the worship of God, music has been priority. So I just give a shout out. If you have that gift of song, of gift of voice, the gift of playing a, an instrument, who gave you that gift? Everybody? God. God gave you, man, just a stronger response today. Love it. Who gave you the gift? God, thank you. God gives you the gift. Use the gift. 
Fill out the engagement card. Let us get to hear your voice to see if it's as good as you think it is. And then, <laughs> and then also the instruments that you have. And be part of the musical celebration of worship, lift to God. And then he goes on to more detail. He says, 736 horses. Odd detail. 736, which by the way, we don't need horses. Don't fill out the engagement card for the horses. You can keep them. 245 mules, 435 camels, 6,720 donkeys. Wow. There's the picture. He records God's goodness. And what a record it is that he gives to us. Nehemiah records the goodness of God that he would grow in faith and anticipate the growth that is still to come. Think about that in my own life. I can't tell you how many times these last few years, half a dozen years, I've gone back to my journal entries just for a lift, just to remember who God is because On occasion, sometimes often, sometimes infrequently, I take note of the goodness of God and the story of God in my own personal life. And I'm so glad that I do that. In fact, I'm gonna give a shout out. I have an app, and you have an app too, I know. But I have an app called Journey. And uh, I don't get any residual from this at all, so I'm giving them a shout out. But it's a journal app. And I like it because I can tap in and and put in what I want to put in my reflection for the day related to the goodness of God, but I can also put in 10 photos and videos right here so I can relive the moments of the day. So in my journey app, um, I have kept record on key times in my life where I've seen the goodness of God or things that I want to remember. So it includes an entry from last year that included my my beautiful dog, Moose, um, who passed away last year. I miss him so much. How many of you are dog lovers? Can I just see it? They're just wonderful, aren't they? But in my journal entry, I have a reflection of the goodness of God related to Moose's unconditional love. It reminds me, I'm his beloved child. When I don't feel loved, I'm beloved by him. Then I have entries related to time with Carrie. I also have the longest, most detailed entry that I put in on June 8th, 2022, related to my mother who would pass away five years later, but I didn't know she was gonna pass away. And she had called, she had a, a day where she had five scheduled appointments and she was frustrated that they'd scheduled five doctor appointments on the same day and she was overwhelmed and she would call me for prayer when she got into those places. I said, Mom, I am, I'm gonna pray for you. The goodness of God has been with you, but I'm gonna come to Sioux Falls and I'm gonna take you to all five appointments and I'm gonna make it fun because I know going to the doctor is a total bore. And so we're gonna put some salt and pepper onto the day. We had the most amazing day. I journaled the whole day. I can't share the whole journal with you, but it included the start of the day. And I have this photo at my journey app. And there we're at Minnehaha Falls in Sioux Falls. We started, the sun is coming up, the water is flowing, and I have an entry related to the goodness of God in nature. It just brought a peace to the beginning of the day to be out in nature. We went to her childhood home, and then after that, we went to one of her favorite parks, and in that park is a replica statue of Michelangelo's David. I don't know if you realize that there are two replicas of David in the world, and one is in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. <laughs> Just behold the glory of God in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And, uh, this is my mom, and this is as far as she could walk, and you could kind of see the backside, and, and she was so funny. She just said, is there any way we could get to the front side? And I question whether I should say that in church, but I go, really, you think about it. Um, we laughed all day about that. We did. And I ended up sending her an apron on the front. Never mind, it's too much story. But my, my point is that we, we need to laugh. You have this thing in your body called endorphins. And who put those endorphins in your body? Because he wants you to laugh. 
We need to have lift in our life and our journey. And I celebrated the goodness of God that we get to laugh. And then we went before going to the doctor appointments to her elementary school, Lowell Elementary School. These are the double doors going into the school. And I'm just gonna be honest, I had a moment, a spiritual moment with my mom in the car. And I journaled it at length. I've shared the story of this school because this is the same school I went to. She was in the 1940s, I was in the 1960s. I'm gonna share the story again, um, just because you haven't heard the aha moment, and it won't make sense without me telling it, but when I was in fifth grade, I walked through those double doors, and my parents had just been divorced. We moved from Minneapolis to Sioux Falls. I was missing my father. I was a lost kid, quite honestly. And I didn't do well in fifth grade. Uh, people didn't know who I was, kids didn't know. I didn't want to play with them. I didn't even want to be at school. I just wanted to leave, just wanted to leave. And at the end of that fifth grade year, it was deemed best that I would repeat the fifth grade. So I failed fifth grade. I flunked fifth grade. How do you flunk fifth grade? You've never met anybody in your life who's flunked fifth grade, but you can use me as a story. I did. I was not in a good place. After that fifth grade experience, and I had to come back and go through those front doors again, I can walk through those doors as an 11-year-old as if it's today. I was terrified. I can walk down that hallway again, and I go into fifth grade the second time around. And I will tell you, I did not start fifth grade the second time around any better than I closed the first time around. I was a lost kid. And in December of that year, Mrs. Graves, my fifth grade teacher the second time around, um, made me president of the class. And I did not have credentials for presidency. <laughs> People did not know I even existed. The kids did not know. I did not know the kids in the room at all. And I go, here's the power of a great teacher. If you're a teacher, I say thank you for what you do. Because her decision, I'm thinking, she's thinking, not on my watch is this kid going down. And she makes me president of the class. It becomes a single force of God's work in my life to change the trajectory of my life. And in my journal, I wrote these words, and I share them with you. The photo of the door is symbolic of a door of opportunity versus a door of failure. But I'm glad that God moved me to go through this door to learn about failure and to go out this door to live my life better because of what I gained when I was 11, the promise of a new beginning. This is the goodness of God, a new beginning. He gives us new beginnings again and again and again. Behold the glory of the goodness of God that gives us a fresh start. And that's what we find in this given story. And it's such a powerful picture in the learning principle. Guard what you've gained by growing what you've gained. And one of the ways you grow your, what you've gained is take note, have a blessing journal, something here or there where you track some of the goodness of God so you can celebrate who he is, how he's been in your life, how he's working now, where you want him to lead you in the future. This is a God who is good. He is good. And all of his work is for your intended good. And you can posture your life at his path um, to that given end. That's the learning pr principle we have from that section. Now, consolidation, we continue. It's not just guarding what you've gained and growing what you've gained. It's give what you've gained. Whenever I give, I am immediately reminded that all that I am and all that I have comes from God. It's his. 
In my early Christian journey, I didn't understand that. I had to grow to understand that given truth. But when I began to understand that the priority of my giving is not from my house, it is not from my kids, it is not from my cars, it is not for the stuff of life or the people of my life, it is first for God. He is the priority of my giving because all that I am and all that I have comes from him. And you have that same reality and truth. When you live in that rhythm, love builds. It builds the reputation of God's name. It builds joy in your heart. It builds blessing to your neighbors and to your family. You can't outgive God in that given arena. And, and look what Nehemiah says about it in terms of how love builds in their given community. Some of the heads of the families contributed to the work. The governor gave the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 bulls, 530 garments for priests. Can you believe the detail of all of this? Included in the scriptures? Some of the heads of the family gave to the treasury for the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. The total given by the rest of the people was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 garments for the priests. I want you to take note what they gave. Gold, silver, cash, assets. Not everybody had gold. Not everybody had silver. Not everybody had cash. But everybody had something. And they knew out of the everything God had given to them, there was something for them to give to God. And they postured themselves to that given end. And wow, how God blessed. And I look at this and I read this text and I go, it looks like there's 100% participation. And I pray that that would be the case for us as well, that we would have 100% participation in the Love Builds initiative that we're involved with right now to the honor of God, the benefit of your family, and the good of our neighbors and our community at large. And then it it moves into chapter eight with an amazing scene because love builds in all of these ways, but it also builds renewal, restoration, and even revival, in this case, at the water gate. It is the custom in the Hebrew culture that when you read the word of God, you stand for the word of God. So I'm gonna invite you to stand for this last portion before we head out. All the people came together as one, as one, in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly. Take a hold of this. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. And all the people listened from daybreak until noon attentively to the book of the law. Ezra stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion and Ezra opened up the book and as he opened it, the people all stood up and Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen and amen and amen and then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground and they read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And then Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. The poor, their God always has his heart on the poor. Love this about him. The day is holy to the Lord, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then all the people went away to eat and drink and to celebrate with great joy. Oh man, my heart gets caught up in these calls of worship in the scriptures. I invite you to be seated just for a few final comments. I'm inviting us to do what Nehemiah did, to guard what we've gained, to grow in what we've gained, to give in what we've gained. I'm inviting you to become an FP, a first paragrapher. Would you say yes and put your name and your story in this first paragraph of the next chapter of Westwood's story called Love Builds?
Because Jesus has a word for us. It's in Matthew chapter five. It's part of the Sermon of the Mount, and he reminds us, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Friends, we are the light of a world that is dark, looking for that light to shine and bring hope to them. We are a city on a hill. What kind of city will we be? Will we be a city of light to the world in which we live here, near, and far? We've made the choice. We will be a city of light, and you will be the people of light, and we together will rely on the light that is Jesus Christ shining in and through us. So here's the invitation just briefly over these next five weeks. We have time, not for asking for anything today, but just these three things. First of all, would you read the Love Builds story? It's actually encapsulated in this Love Builds booklet, our next chapter, and when you leave today, the ushers will give it to you. If you're online, they have a way to um, give you access to the Love Build booklet. Read the stories of God's goodness. Secondly, would you attend a Love Builds gathering? There are six of them, three in Chanhassen, one online, one in West Tonka, one at Bush Lake, and a shout out to you in Bush Lake because the reality is tomorrow evening is the first Love Builds public gathering and you're gonna be the trailblazers for us. So trail the blaze well. Open up the opportunity. May you be the spirit of joy and engagement that will be contagious to all of us in these other gatherings. You'll learn about those events in the booklet. You can go online to our our website and find out how you can participate. They're really meaningful. We've done a couple of them already and you'll be inspired by what you experience and hear and learn more about this Love Builds chapter. And then finally, would you pray about your commitment? It's a big commitment. Would you ask God how he might have you consider your name and your story to be part of this next chapter? And we want you to pray. You have time to pray. Our goal is big. We are praying that God would provide a $9 million expanded giving opportunity beyond our regular giving, $9 million above and beyond over a two-year window to accelerate here near far and catapult us to the 2018 um, mission and vision that he gave to us so long ago. You can get that card in the booklet. It's online as well. If, and over these next weeks, if you would fill out a card or, and bring it on March 26th, that will be the last Sunday of study in Nehemiah. It'll also be a commitment Sunday. We will worship the Lord as we did here and saw in Nehemiah um, chapter eight and be lifted and inspired. So this is what God is doing. There's momentum. God is on the move. Be part of what God is doing in your life and in our community here, near, and far. And join me as we pray together. Thank you, Father, for the gift revealed in Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior, a generosity that is incomprehensible to our way of thinking and understanding, but one that pours upon us a love so extraordinary and so sweet, so life-transforming, it gives us the promise of a new beginning. And there's some in the room right now who need a new beginning. And all of us want you to be the center of our life, for whatever beginning is ours. Bless this love chapter. Love builds in this new way to honor your name, increase your reputation, bring benefit to us personally and individually and to our families, but also, Father, to change and transform communities here, near, and far. We give it to you, to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.